Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Before we get started during these anxious times, I would like to read some scripture. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, I think it's a good way to start the program today. Um, yeah, uh, boy, I, I tell you, I, I think what I'm going to do is go rapid fire through a bunch of um, various uh, news stories, uh, because as we have predicted, and it really didn't take too much to predict this, that this thing is coming to a head. Um, the close it all down, uh, power grabbing folks are really at odds now with freedom loving folks and get the economy going folks. And this really was going to come to a head. It, it really didn't take any degree of prognosticating on my part to uh, predict that. Um, and as usual, many uh, lawmakers and, and governors of some of these states are hiding behind the safety of our citizens excuse in order to continue to not allow state legislatures in, in some um, areas, Ohio and, and here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania specifically, to at least get on the road to start opening this thing up again. Um, so I'm just kind of going to go through rapid fire um, some of these stories. Uh, this one is out of the Columbus Dispatch. It says GOP lawmakers, protesters call on DeWine to begin reopening Ohio. Some Republicans in the Ohio legislature are publicly calling on Governor Mike DeWine to consider removing coronavirus-related restrictions beginning next month. While on Monday, around 100 protesters gathered outside the statehouse during the DeWine's daily COVID-19 press briefing. And the article goes on to say, a growing chorus of Ohio's Republican lawmakers want Governor Mike DeWine to set a date for the first phases of reopening businesses, schools, and public places. We need to get the economy open, even if that means social distancing of some sort for months to come. Senator Andrew Brenner, a Republican, uh, wrote in a Facebook post, we can't stay like this much longer, and the hundreds and thousands of Ohioans who've lost their jobs or the thousands of small business owners uh, just cannot keep doing this either, or their lives will be irreparably destroyed. And now, um, even though governors have quite a bit of uh, power, in comes President Trump. And the article says, at the same time, President Donald Trump contends it's up to him, not governors like DeWine, to establish a timeline to reopen the country. When somebody's president of the United States, the authority is total, Trump said during his daily coronavirus briefing Monday after being asked about governor's authority. 
And that's the way it's got to be. It's total. It's total. And the governors know that. They can't do anything without the approval of the president of the United States. Now, we're not going to dissect that as much as we probably could or should, but um, the statements there um, are, are a little um, a little chilling, a little king-like. Um, the governors of the states most definitely have quite a bit of authority here, and it's very interesting in this crisis that um, Donald Trump has praised many of the uh, governors of these states, and when his opponents wanted him to be some degree of fascistic, like a lot of folks on the left are, he used proper restraint, letting um, various economic guidelines and social distancing and all this stuff to, uh, he left that up to governors of individual states, which is what he should do to some degree. Now, there is, there is on the other side of that, some truth in um, the bully pulpit and the uh, and the power Donald Trump has. But uh, I, I think that rhetoric, um, I don't know, I think that's kind of art of the deal type rhetoric, positioning, um, negotiating, um, rhetoric like that, regardless of whatever degree of truth is involved in that rhetoric, uh, as far as presidential power is concerned. Um, it's got to be my way. It's total. It's total. Words like that are not helpful in this situation. So we move on to the great state of Michigan, where Governor Gretchen Whitmer has been taking all sorts of heat um, as far as uh, shutting down this, shutting down that. I, I saw a news report the other day. I mean, they still have quite a bit of snow in, in the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, and she shut down Home Depots and garden centers and, uh, you know, a store of, um, it's escaping me the name here, the uh, like True Value and all the hardware stores. And the citizens of Michigan are up in arms because, you know, if you have a hole in your roof, you need to fix that. And uh, if these Home Depots and everything are, are locked down, that's kind of hard to do. So um, this says Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has hit back at the thousands of protesters who defied her stay-at-home order on Wednesday, saying the rally that they engaged in was political and endangered people's lives. And now here is the rub as this is coming to a head in many municipalities in this country. As folks on the left want to do, um, it, it's always to their political advantage to invoke the children, safety, health, uh, things of that nature, when in reality, there's a lot of folks on the left that are using those things as cover in order to continue to shut this thing down because they have economic um, gain in mind or uh, power in mind. And don't be um, naive. Uh, if, if this whole thing ultimately brings down Donald Trump, for a lot of sick, twisted people out there, this is worth it. So um, anyway, protesters took part in a drive-in rally dubbed Operation Gridlock on Wednesday to show their opposition to the stay-at-home order issued by Whitmer due to the coronavirus pandemic. Operation Gridlock was listed on Facebook as an event hosted 
by the Michigan Conservative Coalition and the Michigan Freedom Fund. Many demonstrators got out of their vehicles by the state capitol building in Lansing and brandished signs bearing messages including Michigan against Gretchen's abuses and stop the fear and the lockdown. A Michigan State Police spokesperson told Newsweek the protest attracted an estimated 4,000 people and the demonstrators were peaceful. The spokesperson said the majority of the demonstrators remained in their vehicles and those on foot were practicing social distancing. No tickets were issued during the protest for violating Whitmer's stay-at-home order, but the spokesperson said one arrest was made, a 45-year-old man for simple assault against another protester. So um, things are coming to a head in Michigan and many other states. Do I think these folks have um, a, a legitimate right to protest uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer? I certainly do. But contrary to this article, I did see pictures of the protesters. And, you know, um, many of them are waving Confederate flags. What the heck a Confederate flag has to do with um, the, you know, impasse, if you will, in Michigan, I do not know. Now, I'm sure some in my listening audience would say, of course it does. Uh, it's a state's rights thing. It's uh, it's pushback uh, toward the government, and and I think I think the the Confederate flag means enough bad things to enough people on the left and the right that if you want to further your cause or curry favor with someone or or you know get some type of uh, traction with what you're trying to do, waving Confederate flags. Um, at the Michigan Capitol is probably not the smartest thing to do. Um, anyway, article goes on to say, I know there's a lot of angst and people are feeling it and they want to direct it at me. That's fine. I can take it, she said. But showing up and being this irresponsible is not just endangering their own lives. It's endangering all of the first responders and our ability to meet the needs of the people of the state who are all trying to do the right thing. Um Governor Whitmer understands this is frustrating time and that many people are angry, her spokesperson said, but people want to spend time with their families, friends, and loved ones. The governor supports Michiganers' right to free speech and right to protest, but those participating should not put themselves or first responders at risk. Um, she added, it's disappointing to see people congregating without masks and without practicing social distancing. People were flying Confederate flags and passed out candy to kids without gloves. This kind of activity will put more people at risk, and it could mean that more people will die. Well, um, again, in crazy times when people are very charged up, there is a fair amount of truth in Governor Gretchen Whitmer's statements in the end there, and there's some things that are absolutely crazy. Um, if the folks in the uh, that are protesting are not practicing social distancing. She is correct. Um, as I just said, flying Confederate flags seems to me uh, not to have a whole lot to do with what's going out um, or going on. Passing out candy to kids without gloves um, wouldn't be doing that either. 
But uh, for these people to congregate, the ones that were responsible and they were practicing some social distancing and they had a big problem with Home Depot or a hardware store or another store uh, being shut down. Um, I don't have a big problem with somebody protesting um, if they are practicing responsible conduct during this pandemic. But again, and I've said this for years, um, there are people on our side and um, you can conjure up whatever you want to uh, conjure up as far as what our side is. Um, I guess I'll give you a quick definition. People that are for uh, logic, right, common sense, liberty, freedom, um, Judeo-Christian principles, that's what I call our side. Um, when people on our side do stupid things, it gives fuel to um, our opponents on the left, if you will. And passing out candy to kids and waving Confederate flags at a protest is just dumb. And um, we have a lot of dumb people on our side. And they're not helping us. They are hurting us. Um, this article is from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, which we are in right here. And now... Um, Governor Tom Wolf will veto a bill that will allow more businesses to open in Pennsylvania. So the Pennsylvania legislature um, passed Senate Bill 613 to expand essential businesses and allow them to reopen again. And um, our governor here is, is a flaming leftist. And although he's handled himself reasonably well during this crisis, um, his threat to veto this bill is not a good thing. It says, as the administration has stated many times, this is from Wolf's office, irresponsibly going against the direction of the Secretary of Health and reopening businesses too early will only extend the length of the economic hardships created by the pandemic, uh, Wolf's press secretary, Lindsay Kessinger, said. Um, she goes on uh, in a letter to Senators, Pennsylvania's Health Secretary, Dr. Rachel Levine, said the bill would dilute the state's coronavirus mitigation efforts and have a devastating impact on public health. While the governor and I are as eager as anyone to begin getting people back to work, doing so prematurely will only increase the spread of the virus, further lengthening associated economic challenges while also placing more lives at risk. Um, House Speaker Mike, uh, try to pronounce his name correctly, um, Terze, a Republican in the 28th District, says Republicans led the push to get the bill passed because of a staggering $1.4 million, um, $1 million unemployment claims filed in the state and steady migration of Pennsylvania residents crossing state lines to buy goods. Most other states are allowing work so persons can put food on their table, take care of their family, take care of their shelter because they can meet safety requirements of the Centers for Disease Control. Republican leaders have criticized Governor Tom Wolf's essential business list, saying it lacks clarity and clear definitions of what businesses can and cannot open. Um, Article concludes saying uh, those uh, losing weeks um, 
and people going without paychecks and they can't pay their child support, they can't pay their bills. It's just frustrating when some of those people could in the very near future go safely back to work. And we, we will get to it um, a little later in the show. A number of people have forwarded um, a number of pretty logical ideas, and we've kind of discussed them on Reshaping America many times as far as uh, smart, intelligent ways to get a, a fairly large number of people back to work and get this economy juiced up again. But in an era where money, power, um, greed, demagoguery uh, are, are paramount in just about every um, corner, nobody's really got the time or inclination to be listening to common sense type approaches. But those common sense types of approaches will have to be implemented and they will have to be implemented fairly soon in order for our economy to stave off uh, irrevocable damage. Um, and it, it's just what has to happen. Um, I'm going to go on with a few more states that are that are having this uh, taffy pull or this impasse, if you will. Blanket policies do not work. Virginia GOP demands that the Democratic governor reopen the economy. The Republican Party of Virginia has a message for Governor Ralph Northam. Reopen the economy now. In a Thursday morning statement released, um, Republican Vice Chairman Jack Wilson said Virginians can't bounce back from the coronavirus pandemic unless the state's Democratic governor takes action to reopen businesses immediately rather than the June 1st um, uh, you know, reopen date, if you will, that he has proposed. Um, he would like Virginians to stay at home um, until June 1st, which is quite a while. Uh, we cannot begin the recovery process until our leaders give us the ability, he wrote. That is why I urge the governor to develop and announce an actual plan to reopen Virginia as quickly and as safely as possible. Northam has spoken in platitudes about the sacrifices in Virginia, but the reality for thousands of small businesses and their employees is stress and desperation. They need to see that the governor has an actual plan to get them back to providing for their families. And this is a very good point. Um, and, and the criticism goes all the way up to um, the administration. Uh, you know, to trot out some experts, some of which I respect, and have them talk in a platitudinous way um, and just throw out arbitrary two-week increments. Let's see what we're going to get our arms around in two weeks. And then when that two weeks comes, kick it down for another two weeks. Now, well, let me stop there. I, I, I'm fully understanding that this is a fluid situation. And what I've said last week on the radio uh, might not be um, coherent this week because we're, we're getting our arms around what this coronavirus uh, thing is all about. So I understand the fluidity of the situation. But there is only so much time that we can sit on our hands, turn our television on, and see quote-unquote smart people that know more about you know, health issues than most of us do, just to talk, as they say here, in platitudinous terms, 
and say, yeah, we're going to have a wait and see and we'll do it on April 1st. We'll do it on April 15th. We'll do it on April 30th. That is um, that is not what we need. And if, if we are going to take a wait and see attitude, we should at the least at the same time, each state should, based on their numbers and if they're plateauing or waxing or waning, should put forth a very clear uh, game plan as to how, how to reopen their economies. And uh, we, we go back a few shows ago to Governor, um, or excuse me, uh, Senator Jim DeMitt, who, you know, put forth a, a, a plan. And there's other plans that I've read um, that encompass some of the things he wanted to do. And we'll, we'll get to that as well. But just to kind of take a 50,000 foot view of what Mr. DeMint said was our older Americans that are vulnerable with comorbidities, keep them segregated from everybody else. And, um, you know, people can shop for them. And if they can't, we'll set up, um, uh, you know, systems by which people, that's, there's the church, um, much more efficient than the government ever could be to, um, to take care of, of the citizenry. So those people stay at home. Um, if there are people that can absolutely work to some degree uh, from their home in this computer age that we all live in, they should be on overdrive working from home. And thirdly, if there are young, uh, able-bodied, uh, very healthy individuals in this country that are willing to go back to work and adhere to the common sense policies, and we'll get to those um, that some of these companies are are, uh, are suggesting uh, in a moment. And if they're willing to do that, they most definitely should go back to work and get this economy going. Now, the, the, the three points that I just covered, they're not rocket science. Um, many people can come up with those things. Um, you don't get a prize for coming up with common sense approaches. But again, when people are crazy emotional, when demagoguery is at an all-time high, when people hate Donald Trump and want him out of office, when leftists love to get control of um, and expand uh, government, they will exploit a crisis into the sunset unless states put out policies such as I just articulated, and they got to do that yesterday. So um, there's the Virginia legislature that is demanding that Northam um, put forth a plan. And they're like, basically, they're saying, we ain't sitting on our hands for the next, um, what would that be, six weeks, one and a half months? Um, Virginia has a very, very large economy in our country. Uh, a lot of things come from Virginia, and we just can't do that. Um, one of the last things I'll read, this says, Maryland governors orders all, all residents to wear face coverings in public. Violators could face fines or jail. The Republican governor in Maryland, which is pretty much a Democrat governor anywhere else, issued a new executive order requiring that state residents wear face coverings when they go into public places in an attempt to slow the spread of the coronavirus. A few moments ago, I signed an executive order, he says, 
which will require the wearing of masks or face coverings while inside any retail establishment, including grocery stores, pharmacies, and convenience stores, or when riding on any form of public transportation, Governor Larry Hogan says. Uh, the order also requires all essential retail locations to require their staff to wear face coverings and requires those businesses to put into place appropriate social distancing measures in order to keep their customers and their staff safe. Hogan said the order goes into effect 7 a.m. Provisions listed in the order dictate that a person who knowingly and willingly violates this order is subject to imprisonment not exceeding one year and a fine exceeding $5,000, not exceeding $5,000 or both. Um, so, Again, that's not horribly unreasonable. That's not anywhere near to the degree that some governors and some mayors are going to with their, um, some might say, fascistic uh, orders. Um, but again, there are enough people in Maryland that, that are bothered by that or exercised by that, that there's some tension there. So, so we have this tension between government and the citizenry. And I, I think the last thing before I, um, I, I spoke to this tension um, in my book, Reshaping America, and in a second, I'm going to read a little excerpt um, that says, where does the Bible stand on this tension between the citizenry and government? And again, uh, the verses are up for interpretation. And what I'll try to do is give you my interpretation of what those verses are. But um Lastly, um, I saw a very spirited exchange between Tucker Carlson and the mayor um, of uh, New Jersey, uh, Phil Murphy. And um, he, um, Phil Murphy has a, a long history of being a very left-leaning, big government type of a guy. And um, it was a very long exchange. I, I would urge you to uh, Google that and YouTube, look at that YouTube exchange. It was probably about 15 minutes. But, um, you know, it, look, I, I feel for any governor, Democrat or Republican, trying to manage one of these states where this coronavirus is out of control. New York, not a big fan. I am from the great state of New York, lived there for uh, decades, and um, not a big fan of the Cuomos in any way, shape, manner, or form. But um, my heart goes out to Andrew Cuomo. My heart goes out to Governor Murphy. Um, but um, it, it was a very interesting exchange in which, you know, after the pleasantries were exchanged between Carlson and the governor, um, Carlson went into the fact that, you know, Governor Murphy has, has ordered high school graduations, NFL games, religious gatherings, which is another hot button, uh, to all be curtailed. and um, But then uh, liquor stores remain open. And that's always been very intriguing to me. If you listen to this show regularly, I, um, I had the misfortune of being in front of one of the state stores. Uh, we have a rather archaic um, alcohol policy in Pennsylvania here. But um, right before they were shutting down liquor stores, you can still go to um, the beer distributors. But when they were shutting down liquor stores, it was uh, it was absolutely it was like a 1929 run on the bank. It was it was kind of pathetic to see 
you know, these liquor stores, just um, people just empty the shelves. I mean, it's sad beyond comprehension. But over next door to us in Pennsylvania, the liquor stores are indeed open. And and Carlson said, you know, um, you're closing uh, NFL games that, that are going to happen in the summer, and, which is a ways away, high school graduation, religious gatherings. Um, but you're opening liquor stores. What's up with that? And and the governor gave a very tortured, um, uh, you know, canned response that was rather bizarre to me. But he says he has been uh, working with addiction counselors and mental health professionals and the unintended ramifications to uh, addicted individuals or uh, people suffering mental health issues <laughs> would be far too great um, if liquor stores were closed. Now, I, I guess I kind of understand where he's coming from. Um, I really do. But it, it was a it was just a very bizarre response when you juxtapose religious gatherings at a church, and that is shut down, I mean, very quickly, yet the liquor stores are open. And Carlson very... Um, astutely said, well, aren't religious gatherings and church gatherings um, important to people's mental health as well? And the governor really had no answer to that. And this this kind of goes back to what I was saying before, as far as no game plan whatsoever. The I, I, I think many of the things Dr. Fauci and others have implemented as far as social distancing and um, uh, hand hygiene practices and, and all sorts of other things are, are very good things to do on, on a regular basis, not just in a, in a pandemic situation. But I think where the American public is getting a little tired right now is um, that they're getting tired of every couple of weeks, somebody coming out and, and just saying, wait two more weeks, wait two more weeks, wait two more weeks. And, and to Carlson's point, um, his Governor Murphy's lockdown several weeks ago was um, was um, he, he justified it by saying we want to flatten the curve, and that's all well and good. And that narrative was digested and accepted by all of us for a few weeks. And Carlson's point was the curve has has been flattened in New Jersey. And Governor Murphy's rhetoric has changed and says, well, we're going to open things up and, and on, on, you know, to, to, uh, to soften the lockdown, if you will, when there are no more cases. And then Carlson said, well, what do you mean no more cases? That could be several months. And, and I think people um, are just a little antsy, a little tired, and, and a little they, – they want a little bit more then stay home, enjoy your family. We got to hunker down. We're all in this together. Let's save the children. Uh, and 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 I think we deserve more than that. And um, I think there's grumblings out there because many people, many of which I've respected, and and people in very high positions, um, their projections uh, were wrong. Their projections have have been scaled back um, monumentally as far as the predictions of, of um, people afflicted or people dying. Um, and 
lastly, one of one of Tucker Carlson's big bugaboos, which um, again, Governor Murphy had a very difficult time uh, responding to, was the different standard of our response to the COVID nineteen crisis in comparison to other pandemics. And we've discussed on this show the um, the swine flu crisis and and the economic devastation that has occurred. Um, because of this virus is absolutely unparalleled. And don't doubt me on this one. For many, many people, this is a trial balloon to see how much they can push the citizenry in this country around and what effect they can have on the economy all under the guise of public health. So, um, I, uh, I'm not in any way, shape, manner, or form condoning people giving out candy to little kids with no gloves on and people doing foolish things at rallies and, um, and you know, particularly young people who oftentimes feel that they're bulletproof. This is a very devastating virus and the communicable nature of it is, is very unparalleled. However, um, the natives are getting restless. Uh, I think I'll just kind of put it that way, which leads me to, um, at the risk of boring you, reading a little bit from my uh, my book, Reshaping America. Excuse me. Um, and I, I speak to the taffy pull that we all kind of have, particularly as Christians, if we believe the Bible, in um, our full faith and trust in our leaders, in our government officials, in, um, in uh, all of those things. And, and that is tested um, in times like this. And um, I'm queuing this book up here. The, um, the thing that I find very interesting, uh, particularly the Christian left, who really embrace the government and have um, have kind of allowed the government to do or petition the government to do many of the traditional things that the church has been charged to do and has done quite well over the years. Um, they take verses like the one that I'm about to read and they pervert it. And I'm going to explain how they pervert it and why we should be very cautious to just when a government official just says this is how it's going to be, to just say okay and just kind of go back to our lives. So, I am um, I am reading from uh, page thirty-seven, thirty-eight of Reshaping America, and this is interesting. And hope hopefully this is will be educational for you. So I'm speaking about um, what government you know, uh, what our relationship with the government should be. And I, I say, as citizens, what should our relationship with the United States government look like? For some guidance, let's look at Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do not, or those who do so, will bring judgment upon themselves. 
So I go on to explain this, and I say to some, these verses pretty much say, like it or not, we have to obey the government, and short of voting governmental officials out, there's not a lot we can do as citizens. Many with this philosophy contend that religion and politics are two very separate entities which, under our Constitution, cannot intersect. These individuals do their religion thing over here and their political thing over there. This philosophy is also held by individuals who are not even remotely inclined to look up, let alone care about, Romans 13, 1 and 2. These individuals believe in the separation of church and state, and although they are generally irreligious, they often find themselves agreeing with so-called, and I have this word in quotes, Christians, who think that mingling, that the mingling of religion and politics is not a good thing. Now, let's get to the category of folks that I think are kind of missing. Romans 13, 1 and 2, particularly in a time like this. Another category of individuals are of the mindset that most governments are generally corrupt, and we have every right to resist them when they're out of line. Um, to understand what Paul was trying to convey, I think we have to define the word rebel. And uh, I'm sorry if I, I misspoke there. This category of individuals, I think, um, I think they get it, uh, if, if my memory is serving me correctly here. To understand what Paul was trying to convey, I think we have to define the word rebel. To refuse, and, and I go on to define it, to refuse allegiance to and oppose by force an established government or ruling authority. If we are going to have any chance of obeying God's word in this area, we are going to have to shift our focus from government officials to the government in general. Government, and this is the key here, guys, government, as Paul was referring to it, was supposed to be a good thing. And I go on to quote Romans 13, 3 and 4, which says, For rulers hold no terror over those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, if you read that literally, you would basically, whatever the government says, They've been put in place by God. We got to do it. Um, so I go on to wrap this up and I say originally and presumably today as well, government is supposed to protect its citizenry from harm. But this only works if the government is set up to respect God, the arbiter of right and wrong. That's why the original intent of our forefathers was to set up a government based on Judeo-Christian values. In essence, shaping our laws with the ultimate judge, God, at the core. When God gets further and further from the equation, as he is in the minds of many leftists that are just borderline tyrannical in their rule, um, the original intent of government becomes perverted. Once this perversion becomes egregious, God's directive to submit to government because uh, becomes subordinate to our first allegiance, 
which is to God. And let me cool everybody's jets right there. I am not in any way, shape, manner, or form um, telling anybody to uh, get torches and pitchforks. But I will go on to say this. Honoring government to the exclusion of common sense is beyond foolish. When a government is largely made up of officials who have no moral compass and who blindly follow equally godless constituents rather than leading them, disaster is imminent. And the last thing I'll say here, um, I said, notice I use the word blindly, tyrannical governments do not emerge overnight. They evolve when moral, decent, God-fearing folks simply sit on their hands. Jesus didn't shy away from action, and neither should we. So, um, you know, blindly looking at those verses and saying, well, God's sovereign over everything. He put these people in place. We don't like it. We'll vote them out. Well, you know, particularly congressmen are, are very hard to vote out. They're, um, the reelection rate of incumbents is, is really staggeringly high. So um, civil unrest and protests, when, um, when things are just way off the rails, are certainly something that I think, at least in my opinion, that God doesn't have a huge problem with. Um, if abortion, for example, is legal in the United States of America, and people go down to Washington and protest that peacefully, um, that in no way, shape, or form is is um, is tantamount to not respecting the uh, leaders that God has put in place for His sovereign purpose. So. Um, I think when we take certain verses quite literally, like, you know, basically um, the governor of this state or that state says, stay home. That's basically what you got to do. Um, I think that's foolish. And um, I, I think there is a very healthy and very necessary yin and yang give and take between um, uh, factions in this country that if, if it is done in a civilized, Christ-like manner, um, not waving uh, Confederate flags, um, not holding up signs that are stupid, um, I think that's really healthy and I think that's really good because I, I still have a lot of faith in the American people. So during these times where this is really coming to a head, when you have um, people that just, hey, stay at home. Why? Because we told you to. And they are put in position against other people that are losing their businesses, cannot feed their families, and, and unemployment is, is absolutely at a record high. Very, very shortly, I mean, eight weeks after this economy was the greatest economy in the history of the world, is, is really um, troubling. So I think at this point in time, we need leaders more than um, we have ever needed leaders before. And um, during these challenging times, oftentimes we don't get leaders. We get people that scare people and, and try to um, disseminate untruths. And um, I think this pushback, even against the Trump administration and Fauci and um, 
and the um, and, and some of his health professionals uh, to question them, like what's with the numbers changing, or why is this, or why is that? I think that's healthy. I think that's good. I do have respect for how Donald Trump has been leading in general. I think some of his comments the other day were were not good, not helpful. And, and I, as I've stated, I, I think Dr. Fauci um, has been uh, uh, steering this ship as well as he can, but. But he's not—he's um, not the be-all and the end-all. He is not the. This is not Rome, where you know we give thumbs ups and thumbs downs to hey, start the economy, eh, keep the economy um, under wraps for a while. You know this thing's coming to a head, and I think banter back and forth, civil um, uh, protest, uh, these are very very good things. So. Um, and this takes me to one of Donald Trump's very good decisions the other day. I heard um, that the World Health Organization, um, Mr. Trump, wants to put on hold uh, the funding for that. We are the um, we are the largest contributors in the world to the World Health Organization, who has um, it, this article here says he needs to go. Steve Scalise, um, the uh, Republican. Um, congressman that was unfortunately shot a few years ago. Um, great guy. He demands that the World Health Organization remove its director general for botched coronavirus responses. And it says House Minority Whip Steve Scalise called for the World Health Organization to remove its director general following the body's handling of the coronavirus pandemic. If the World Health Organization wants to restore their credibility. I don't think they've ever had any, but around the world, the most important first step they can take is by removing Dr. Tedros as their head. Um, but that would just be the beginning of restoring credibility, Scalise told the Daily Caller. I think they would need to prove that they are trying to bring somebody in who's a respected medical professional and not someone who will cover for failed regimes like the communist Chinese government, or even if you look at other outbreaks like Ebola, trying to cover for the countries that started those diseases. Very strong words um, at the end there, started those diseases. And, and I think, um, I'll speak for Mr. Scalise, I think what he means, I hope what he means by started those diseases um, is... Um, is a little less than cook them up in a laboratory to uh, wreak havoc on the world, which some people believe did indeed happen. I think Mr. Scalise means um, they were egregiously flat-footed when these diseases um, started and the, um, the widespread um, uh, off-to-the-races uh, pandemic um, uh, uh, furtherance of these diseases was was greatly enhanced by the ineptitude of many of the countries where these um, diseases originated. And uh, China, it, you know, the, the, and we we did this a few shows ago. China, um, the, the their their bloody hands in this it, it can't be understated. And um, the head of the World Health Organization has done nothing but praise China in recent weeks. So I, um, I agree with Mr. Scalise that, um, that their director general should be ousted. And, and I agree wholeheartedly with Donald Trump putting the brakes on any more funding for these people. 
um, for a whole host of reasons. So um, that's an article we have um, there. The next one is a very interesting article to me. It's coronavirus related, but it's something that I have been thinking about um, and haven't really heard much about on the news until recently. And um, this is an election year and um, people cheat and that's all I'm going to say. And uh, people want outcomes. And I, I live a stone's throw from the great city of Philadelphia. And um, uh, we are famous for having 500 votes on the, uh, on the machine before it even gets delivered to the precinct. And uh, we'll just leave it at that. So uh, voting irregularities and craziness is, uh, is nothing new uh, to the Philadelphia area. And um, people that, that their heads are in the game, uh, again, we, we have to quote um, our favorite mayor, Rahm Emanuel, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, Eric Holder here says that the coronavirus is an opportunity, in quotes, to permanently change U.S. voting system. And I knew that was coming. And I heard a story today about absentee ballots that don't really have to be vetted too much down in the state of um, state of Georgia, and um, not going to be a whole lot of oversight because you know we wouldn't want to go spreading the virus or anything. So um, this coronavirus uh, can can really wreak havoc in a lot of other areas other than just ravage people's bodies. And um, I was thinking of how corrupt. Um, the voting process could be um, during this uh, presidential election year. And lo and behold, we get an article today about Eric Holder, and it says former President Barack Obama's attorney general, Eric Holder, uh, acknowledged that he sees the coronavirus as an opportunity to change the way U.S. citizens vote forever. Coronavirus gives us an opportunity to revamp our electoral system so that it permanently becomes one more inclusive and becomes easier for the American people to access, Holder told Time Magazine. Um, I could stop right there and talk about that for about an hour. Um, I don't know how much easier it has to be. Um, when you're getting your driver's license, you can uh, register to vote. Um, you can change your party affiliation. You can vote um, from the privacy of your own home, throw it in an envelope, send it, Pretty soon, we're going to have little buttons on the uh, on the end of our Barco loungers in the living room, and we're when we get angry at this um, politician or that politician, enough people in a certain um, constituency base can just um, vote the person out, impeach them, do whatever they want. Um, it, it it can't get much easier, but Mr. Holder um, seems to think that this coronavirus is an opportunity to make it easier. So Holder went on to say that he supports shifting toward a system with more mail-in ballots. Again, uh, absolutely and utterly ripe for um, fraud. There has to be a sea change in our thinking there, he said, when asked how important he thinks mail-in ballots will be going forward. Allow people to access their primary American right of voting at home. It's not uh, as if this is a untried concept. Oregon has been doing this for years. 
but we have to make sure that we're being sensitive to the needs of poor communities and communities of color by doing things like having prepaid postage on envelopes. Can I stop right there? Um, it, 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 um, these race hustlers, and that's what Eric Holder is, um, it, it, it just it bothers me to no end. The abject insult it is to poor people and people of color to say what he is saying here, which is they just can't get it together. They need pre-postage or prepaid postage on envelopes. Um, they they have absolutely no wherewithal to get an ID from anywhere, even if they they don't drive. And my mother doesn't drive, and, and never has in her life, and she's got three forms of ID. Okay, to to imply that the poor out there or people of color don't have the wherewithal, the intelligence, the oomph to put a stamp on an envelope and send it somewhere is is so profoundly insulting that I, I don't even know where to begin. And and I know personally of, of uh, people of color or people that are economically challenged, if you will, that think people like Eric Holder and other and other race hustlers are absolutely the scum of the earth. And in comments like this that seem to be just rather benign are, are so offensive on so many levels, I don't even know where to begin. So um, he goes on to say he wants to construct a system so that you um, it, expanded in-person voting, you've got expanded at-home voting, and expanded no-excuse absentee vote-at-home measures. Holder said he believes that these changes during the coronavirus crisis will help enhance our democracy. Democrats across the country have been pushing for increased mail-in voting during the coronavirus crisis, despite reports over the past week suggesting over 28 million mail-in ballots have been lost in the past 10 years. And I think lost is a really kind term. I don't think they were lost at all, and you can read between the lines there, and that thousands of ineligible voters could possibly receive mail-in ballots, including many dead people. Lastly, and we'll go back to uh, Tucker Carlson. We chronicled him earlier in the show. Fox News host Tucker Carlson said on his show this week he believes these efforts to push mail-in voting are part of a broader effort on behalf of Democrats to encourage voter fraud to win elections. you know, I, 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 many of you are tired of hearing me, you know, invoke the name of Rahm Emanuel, but I, I am absolutely, as each day of this crisis um, continues, absolutely sickened by the amount of people that are coming out of the woodwork and um, to true to form, not letting a good crisis, in their words, not mine, go to waste um, in every conceivable way that they could, they could exploit human tragedy. Democrats and some Republicans are doing it. And I think that's just really sad. So instead of railing against them in the waning seconds of the show here, I think I'll just, um, I'll pray for them. And I'll ask you to pray for them and pray for this country and pray that the Lord up above just uh, stops this virus in its track. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Till next week.